0: Everybody be able to see. We are in uh, our second week of the Ideal Family series. Uh, I know Pastor Bubba was here, uh, was it last week? He was here last week, wasn't he? Yeah. Talked about the gap and the difference between the ideal family of what God has called family to look like, and then you have your real family, which is usually sometimes totally different than what God's ideals are. And the gap that's in between that, do y'all remember what it is? It's a word that starts with G, grace, grace, that God gives grace to cover the difference between where your family really is and what God's called your family to really be. So uh, I know we have a bunch of people in here. Maybe you are uh, single. Maybe you are divorced. Maybe you, are, uh, you have your kids and they're out of the house. And you're just enjoying being empty nesters. Uh, maybe you do have young kids. But how many would agree that family can be rather difficult at times? can be a little crazy. Okay. Wow. That hands went up pretty quick on that one. Okay. So we're all in agreement on that one. Um, and so when the, when we read scriptures about the family, sometimes it can be a little depressing and sometimes it can be a little, um, a little hard, a little challenging. Um, and especially when it comes to the topic that we're going to talk today, which is really about parents and kids. And so that's why we actually have question here today. Um, Our Quest kids are going to stay in here today because uh, part of my message is to kids. So parents, if you're by a kid, kind of jab them a little bit and say, you need to listen. You need to listen. Okay. And then kids, if you're by a parent, jab them and go, you're going to get it too. Okay. So just let them know it's coming their way. As well. But uh, I wanted to just kind of get a little personal today and share a little bit about my family Uh, since we're talking about family. um, My family actually um, is, there's five of us, uh, my wife Lindsay, and then my three boys. How many of you, before I, I show something, how many of you hate family pictures? Like having to go do family pictures time. How many of you know that that can be of the devil? Alright. How many of y'all have ever tried to get kids ready for family pictures? Okay. Not only do you have to get them ready for family pictures. But then you have to keep them Ready for family pictures and like they want to go and like slide in the grass and all that. Mama's pulling out her hair and she's trying to keep her hair all nice. I mean, family pictures can be a bit crazy. And uh, we have three boys. Okay, so that's really crazy already as it is an eight year old, a five year old and a three year old. And uh, it it just gets I, I tell people all the time when they ask what our family dynamics is like and I say, well, you just really need to pray for my wife. Don't pray for for me. She has to stay home with these boys all the time, and summer has begun. And so, it was like, we're like two days into summer, and she's like, I don't know if I can take it. I don't know. Like, they're already fighting already. I'm like, well, let's brace for the long haul. Okay, we got a couple months here. And so, I wanted to show you guys real quick a, a photo of, this is kind of what I would like to call, can we throw that up there? This is what I like to call the ideal family photo. See? Like, this is the one you post on, like, Facebook, and these are the ones that you Send a family, right? These are the ones, okay, so this is our family. This is Josiah on the right, our oldest who 's eight Judah on the the left, and then Joel uh, down below at the bottom um, and It looks like just to kind of let you all know next week, I, I think my wife and I will be coming back and sharing our story with Joel. Um, So I look forward to being back next week and sharing our story. Joel uh, has been diagnosed with a lifelong disease that we've been battling since January. And uh, we're going to share our story, I think, next week back here. So I'm excited about that. But uh, that's not what this message is about. Um, So that's my... Amazingly gorgeous wife, Lindsay. And so this is our family photo. This is what I'd like to call the ideal photo. This is the photo you usually send to people, right? Okay, I think we got another one. We'll send, we'll do another one. So this was the week before that. That's another like ideal family photo. Okay. What people don't know though, is what it took to get that photo. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There's a lot of pension, <laughs> I mean, okay, do you see, you don't see my hand, do you? It's somewhere. It's somewhere, I'm just telling you. And it, 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 it's, it, the, the little one's just kind of like, oh, okay. So what normally happens is, I don't know about y'all on photo shoots, but you will go and you'll take 100 or 200 photos with a photographer, and you'll have like two this is one of the two, okay? Okay, so this is what I like to call the ideal family photo. Let's go to the next one. This is actually this is actually the, the, another ideal. This is the one that you would post, you know, of, of, where, uh, of, of, a, of a good one, okay? And then you have the next one, which is actually what you're really dealing with. Come on, how many of you can relate to this one right here, okay? My wife's like, can I not get a good photo? Okay, you got boys trying to, you got Judah trying to pinch his little brother down there. You got the other one at the top going, do we have to take another photo? Okay, that's what we got going on. Then you got Lindsay just trying to smile in it. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep my sanity in all that. So this is a little bit more of real family. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is a lot more like real family right there. Okay, that's like, are you serious? We're doing this one again. This is the face we get most of the day. Okay, this is it right here. That's, that's the real one that we get most of the time. How many of you say your family photo shoots are a lot like this all the time? Okay. That's a real family. Okay. So I wanted to give you actually, I wanted to give you all a sneak peek into our home. So I actually brought a video of a real belt family issue that we did. This was about three years ago. Um, and I came home and this is what I witnessed when I came home. So guys, let's tee it up and uh, we'll show them. Can you turn it up? Notice Parenting 101 right there, which is when your children are in desperate situations, you grab the video camera. Y'all notice my good parenting right there? Help, Josh! Hold on! Let's get this on film! This could be great money for us down the road. Uh, And then... You know, that's, that's a lot more of our real family dynamics right there. There's a lot more of that going on in our home than uh, the first couple of photos that you maybe saw. And uh, that's the real family. And that's what we're talking about today is we're talking about the dynamics between the ideal family and the real family and the and, and your real family. And so we're going to go to Ephesians chapter six and look at this dynamic of what scripture has to say about what is an ideal family. How many of you would, would would agree with this statement that there's nothing um, in your life that has more consistently shown your need for God's grace and mercy and forgiveness than trying to raise children? How many of you would agree? All parents in here would agree on that one, right? There's nothing in my life that has shown me how much I need Jesus than it has been to try to raise three boys. Nothing. Nothing in my life. You know, I tell people all the time that are single, I say, listen, do you love Jesus? They say, yes. I say, well, if you want to love Jesus, stay single. If you want to be like Jesus, get married and have kids. (laughs) That will make you more like Jesus because there's something about a wife... Or a husband and children that sanctifies the mess out of you. Because you know what happens? These people rub you the wrong way. And what is inside of you comes out. Alright? And so when you're single and alone, life's amazing. Alright? You only have to deal with self. But then when you get married, you have children. You have to deal with all these other hellions as well. Because they need Jesus too. All right. So not only do you need Jesus, but they need Jesus. And then you put all of you in the same house and everybody needs Jesus. Okay. So that's what we're talking about here when we talk about Ephesians chapter 6. I want us to look at this, but here's a couple of things that I want us to do. Because we're going to specifically talk about parents and kids. And uh, I, this is just a, a quick encouragement that I want to give on the front end is this. First off, if you are single, don't check out. Okay, Or if you don't have kids or you're in empty nesters, do not check out of this message. Okay, What I'm about to share in just a little bit, it will apply to any relationship, not just parent and children. It will it'll apply to uh, an employee and a boss. It will apply to uh, a student and a teacher. It will apply to any relationships whatsoever. So don't check out on me. And plus, you're going to eventually have kids one day if you're single, and you really need to, to know this. Um, secondly is this for parents in here, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to listen to this message and then go, I just need to be a better parent. That's not what this message is about. This message is really about you to see the difference between where you are in your parenting and where you should be. And not just the fact that you need to be a better parent and to try try harder, but that you recognize how much God can do through you. And that you need God desperately to do what he's called you to do. So to be the parent that you need to be, you need Jesus too. Not that you should just keep trying harder. Do we want to be better parents? Absolutely. But I do not want you to walk away from here thinking, I just need to try harder at this. Okay? Because the problem that you're in right now is that you're trying hard. Or maybe you're not trying at all. But if you can fix the problem, then you don't need Jesus. See, so we all need him, and we need the Holy Spirit to empower us and give us wisdom in this thing. How I many know there's nothing more confusing than trying to raise kids? It's hard. So I want to I read Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to share a lot of my own personal stories to try to uh, give you guys some, some, maybe for some of you, some relief to know that I struggle with a lot of this. But Hebrews, I mean, uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse one, I want to throw it up on the screen. And if you're a kid in here, uh, and here's my definition of kids before I, before I go any further, my definition of a child or a kid is if you still live with mom and dad, you're a child. And then two, if your parents pay for most of your bills, you're a child, Okay, if they pay for most of your bills, you're you're still a child. So I have like 26 year olds that come up to me and go like, "My parents don't get off my back." And I go, "Well, you need to first get out of their house, and then two, you need to stop playing Xbox and get a job, all right? So they can get on your back all you want because they're still paying for your food." And everything else. So, okay. So that is my definition of children. Now I know, like you're in college and parents are helping you out. That you're you're on your way to progression of being an adult. But if you're just staying at home and bumming off a mom and dad, you are a child. So guess what? You will be treated like one. So this scripture then still applies to you. And so this is what this scripture says. It says Ephesians chapter one: Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. So, here's the question. Why do children have to obey their parents? Well, I mean, the easy answer is is just because that's how God designed it to be. God designed for there to be parents and parents to have children and the parents to to train and and to raise up their children and for children to submit to that. But I think the bigger issue with all of this is is because, and don't take this in a bad way, but children are just dumb. (laughs) Right? Right? They don't know as much as they think they know. Okay? So when they're young, they do think they know everything, right? Okay, have you ever tried raising a teenager? Okay, they know way more than you do. You just haven't figured it. You haven't come to terms with the fact that they know more than you. But they've come to it. They know that they know more than you. I have an 8-year-old who thinks sometimes he knows a lot more than I do. Okay? Okay? And, and I remember myself at that age thinking that I knew a lot more than I actually did. And I had loving parents and loving people in authority that would always come into my life going, you're not as smart as you think you are. That was extremely stupid. Don't do that again. Okay. So God, because he loves us, puts us in these relationships where we have these older people who can help guide us into areas that we don't know as much. Okay, so I have these young kids right now, and there's a lot of what I'm doing is don't do that. And, and they would go, well, why? You know, that's the ultimate question. Why? And so I have to come back and I have to explain why things are happening. But how many of you know that sometimes they don't like that explanation? They still have to figure it out themselves, right? And so then they get hurt, and you go, don't stand up on the bathtub. Why? I don't know. You might be wet. I don't know. That could be a problem. Why don't you just go ahead and stand up there? Let's see what happens. And, boom, and you're like... That's why, how many, how many parents go, I told you so, right? How many times have you said that? To- I, I, do I have to keep telling you? But sometimes people have to learn by experience. And the truth is, we are arrogant a lot in our youth. And God puts us under parents to save us and to kind of kick a lot of that arrogance out in our lives. And as a children and as kids, a lot of times in teenagers, you don't understand the rules, right? So mom says, be home by 11. And you're like, I don't know why i got to be home by 11. I mean, what could really happen after 11 o'clock? And your parents are like, do you really want to go there? I think only bad things happen after 11 o'clock for most teenagers. You need to be home at a certain time for a certain reason. When I tell my boys, like, hey, listen, don't go play in the street. And they go, why, why not? And I go, you see that squirrel that's got like an eye over there on the other side of the road? That could be you. Okay? That squirrel thought he could run the road as well. So daddy's trying to protect you. See, but one of the things that I want to get my children to understand, though, and this is, this is a little tip for all you parents, is I want my, my kids to trust me before I even lay down rules. Because if they don't trust me, they're not going to lay down, they're not going to trust any rule that you ever bring into their life if they don't trust you. See, so if they know that you love them, then whatever I say is because I love them, right? And I want the best for them. So I have to first let them understand, listen, Daddy loves you. So if Dad says, stop eating Cheetos, and they go, why? Because I know if you eat nine bags of Cheetos, your stomach is really going to hurt. And then you're not going to eat dinner, which is the healthy things for you to eat. But Dad loves you. And so I'm telling you not to do these things because I love you. But if you don't see it coming out of... A parent that has love for a child then they're going to view every rule as you're just trying to kill my fun right so as as they raise up into teenagers and we say don't do this they need to understand that the rule behind that is for their safety and for their joy i want my kids to have as much fun in my yard don't go past there because it's not safe but all in here have a blast Have as much fun as you want, but you go outside of that. That's not safe. Do you know how that applies to us as children of God? When God says, do marriage this way. Don't have sex outside of marriage. And we're like, what? God trying to blow up all my fun. I mean, I'm all young. I can have sex. You know, I can do all this. And God's going, no, I want you to do it this way. You know why? Because God wants our greatest joy and he loves us. So every time he lays down, don't do this. Do it this way. If you view God as I trust you and I love you, then you'll receive every command as it's in a loving way. He wants the best for me. He's not trying to take away from me. He's actually trying to give to me. Y'all with me here? And so... But I mean, unfortunately, you know, children, and we all go through this in our young days, is where we think our parents don't know as much as they do, and we rebel. But and have you ever thought about this? Think about what it would be like if creatures in the wild rebelled against their parents like kids do. Imagine like an antelope going up to his antelope dad, and his, dad, his dad's going, "Stay by me, son." He's like, "Dad, I'm fast. I'm fast." He's like, stay by me, son. You need to stay with us. Dad, did you see how fast? I'm telling you, I am faster than any lion. He's going, son, listen to me. Stay by me. He's going, no, no, dad, I'm telling you, I can can outrun. His dad looks at him and goes, maybe you could outrun him once or twice, but eventually he's going to catch up to you, and he's going to eat your guts out, and National Geographic is going to film it. (laughs) That's what's going to happen. But you notice that in the wild... Animals know submission. They know when mama elephant says, don't do this, they don't do that. Why? Because they understand that mama and daddy are loving and protecting them. And they, But why, why do kids not do that? Why do we not do that? It's one word. Sin. Sin. How many of you know that you didn't have to train your kids to sin? Did any of y'all have a class on it? Hey, let me teach you how to lie. Did anybody do that? No. Okay. So I don't, I never taught my kids how to hit each other. You know, they didn't watch me like hit Lindsay, you know, like she'd take a blow at me and then they're like, Oh, that's how you do it. Okay. So when Josiah takes a toy, he's like, you know, they don't teach that. I didn't have to teach that. They never saw me do that. They don't see me yell at my wife, but they yell at each other. They don't see me hoard things and go mine, 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 but they do that. Right? So. Who taught that? Nobody did. You know why? Because the Bible says when we were born into this world, we were born into iniquity. We were born into sin. We were born with our hearts fractured. They were broken. And so we have a natural bent for selfishness. We have a natural bent to want to do things our way. So that's why you have a two or three year old that all of a sudden is starting to do things. You're like, where did that come from? It's because there's a natural bend in all of us that's broken, and we all need Jesus to fix it. We all need Him. So just as much as you don't have to teach rebellion, you do, though, have to teach obedience. So, look what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Number t- uh, Verse 2. Honor your father and your mother... This is the first commandment with a promise. And here's the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So here's the deal about honor. A couple of things here. Uh, let me talk to all the kids or teenagers in here. Let me let me just tell you something. One honoring your parents doesn't mean your parents will always be right. And your dad just looked at you and goes, that's not true. (laughs) I will always be right. Okay, but here's the truth. They're not always going to be right, and they're not going to always do things right. They will blow it, because they need Jesus too. But the Bible doesn't say you honor them only when they do what's right. It says you honor them all the time. And you honor them not because of their perfection. You honor them because of their position. I think that might be in your notes. We honor, or if it's not, you need to write it in there. We honor people because of their position, not because of their perfection. See, most of us want to just honor people who are perfect. But the truth is, have you ever met that person? Okay, so we don't honor people. And yet again, this goes in all relationships. This goes with a pastor, or with a boss, or with a teacher, or with a coach, or with the authorities, with cops. We honor them as the scripture tells us to honor them, not because of their perfection. We honor them because of their position. Okay, so uh, there, there's, there's scriptures in 1 Peter where, where Peter tells the Christians to honor the king. But if you know anything about those days, the king was killing Christians. So you guys have a problem with Obama maybe, but he's not killing you. But here's the deal. He, this king in those days was killing like their family. And can you imagine getting a letter from one of the apostles and he says, Honor that man. And you're like, are you, are you kidding me? No. Because here's the deal. He wanted them to honor the position, not the perfection. He wanted to honor them not because they were godly. They weren't. He wanted them to honor them because that was somebody that God had put into place. Romans 13 says that there is no authority that's in a position that God hasn't put there. there. Now they could be ungodly, but just because they're ungodly doesn't mean that God didn't put them there. God's doing something through that. So as a people, we're called to honor. That's the same was with our own president. We're called to honor him. You may totally disagree with everything that he has to say, but you still have to honor them, which means we have to watch the things that we say with our mouth. We have to guard those things. Now, does that mean that you can't disagree? See, in my home, my children are allowed to disagree with me, but they do still have to honor me. You know you can disagree with somebody and still honor them? Because it's all about the attitude of the heart and the way you go about doing it. Somebody can come up to you and go, man, I just disagree with what you have to say. And they can do it in an extremely dishonoring way. But they can also disagree with you with a very dishonoring way as well. Okay? So I allow my kids to come and ask me why and disagree. But we only do it once. After that, whatever the rule is let down. So they may have a legitimate thing like, hey, Dad, I was trying to clean the room. And you told me to come here. And I was trying to do this because Mom said that. And I go, okay. All right. That's fine. Or it may have been, Dad, I was trying to do this. And I go, well, I'm telling you to come here. I want you to come here. And if they keep whining, but no, we don't let the whining thing continue. We talk about it once, and then that's it. It's how it's got to go. So, children, you're called to obey, but you're also called to honor the position, not the perfection. You know, I I, I read, uh, as I was doing some research for this, in the first century Rome, children had to honor their father's rules until they died i mean what if you're like back in those days your dad could like live to like a hundred and something imagine your dad's like i want you home for nine you're like dad i have my own kids what are you talking about I, i need you home right now you know and whatever dad said you had to do it you had to obey it that was the culture back in those days Now, I believe that there needs to be obedience to children. If you're in the home, there needs to be obedience to those rules. But once you're out on your own, you're your own self-governing person. You don't have to technically obey everything your mom says. You take counsel and wisdom from your parents. You still have to honor them. You just don't have to obey them. Because now you're on your own. Now, unless they're paying for everything, then you've got to obey them. But there's still honor that's there. So this is something that we've taught with our children. Josh, you going to come help me? Okay. So... This is what I like to call here. We'll come over here. There's a little more room over here. This is what I like to call the uh, umbrella of blessing. All right. There you go. Why don't you hold that for me? Okay. So this is what this verse says. Can we throw that verse back up? So the first verse said, children, obey your parents and the Lord. So kids, I want you all to pay very close attention to what I'm about to share here. And parents, you can actually pay very close attention because you might use this. We use this illustration weekly in our home. Weekly. Okay. So it says, Children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, okay? Uh, Verse 2 says, What? Honor your father and your mother, for this is commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. So the Bible gives two commands for kids, okay? Obey and what? Say it out loud. Honor. Honor. Okay. Obedience and honor. Okay, these are the two things that you're called to do. Okay, so we have an umbrella here. What's an umbrella used for? To protect from rain, right? Okay, so it's raining outside, you bust out the umbrella, you put it over you, and you go do what you got to do, protect it in the rain. Okay, so um, how foolish would it be for, for Josh to, while he's outside, keep holding it, have his umbrella like that? That'd be pretty wise? No, right? be pretty... Pretty stupid. Okay. All right. It just like Mary Poppins trying to sing in the rain or something. Okay. So this is what we have. We have what I like to call the umbrella of blessing. The Bible specifically says this in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. If you as children will obey and honor your parents, you will sit under an umbrella of blessing. Because the Bible says it will go well with you and you will live long. I don't know how many kids in here want it to go well with you and you want to live long. Um, Nobody wants it to go bad and live short, okay? But there is a protection that God gives to children who live in obedience and honor. There's a protection that's there. And when you walk in disobedience and dishonor, guess what you do? You walk away from the umbrella. You're now outside of it. So I tell my boys all the time, listen, your heart and the motivation that you're doing right now, guess what? Do you think you're in the umbrella or outside the umbrella? Trust me, you're outside the umbrella right now, which guess what that means? That means you don't have God's protection anymore, which guess what that means? You're on your own, buddy. That's what that means. I don't know about you, but I would like to stay under the umbrella as much as possible. And this same principle applies to us as children of God with God. When we do things our own way, when we when we say to God, "We'll just we got this, we handle this." Guess what? We do. We do the same thing. We live outside. So when honor and obedience is there, there's blessing and long life. When there's disobedience and dishonor, there's cursing. It's what there is. We honor and we obey, and we have long life and health. And when away, it's not so much. Okay, so thank you, Josh. I'll give it up for Josh. So we have, we have this talk with our boys usually every week. Do you think you're under the umbrella or outside the umbrella right now? Under the umbrella or outside the umbrella? So how, well, how do we get back into the umbrella? We get back. And this is actually what we're going to talk about in just a minute is how we actually get back to that place. And let me say this. Obedience and honor Is for the kids, not the parents. Notice it doesn't tell the parents to honor your children. Do you notice that? And it doesn't tell the parents to obey the children. It tells the kids to obey and honor the parents. So this is a command that's specifically to children of what they're supposed to do. Because here's the deal. They also get the benefit of it. The benefit of long life is not for the parents. It's for the kids. The benefits of going well is for the kids as well. All right, so let's go to Ephesians 4. And if you're a kid or a teenager and you're by your mom or dad, you can now kind of poke them and say, now it's your turn. We're coming after you. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let me speak specifically to fathers in here. Fathers, we have to be very careful not to motivate negatively. See, our culture... Motivates negatively. Do y'all know what I mean by motivating negatively? Like using shame as a way to get somebody to do something. you know what I'm saying? And as men of God and as fathers of God, we don't do that. We encourage our motivation in a, a way that is positive and encouraging to come to, some, to, to be someone. We don't do it negatively. We don't try to shame somebody to try to get a positive behavior. Um, and this is the encouragement. Fathers, you got to watch your mouth. And I'm not talking about cursing. I'm talking about just watching your mouth because there is nothing that is more powerful to your child than your mouth this is to daddies and there's nothing that's more destructive to your children than your mouth. I, I sit down right now with 20 something year olds who are telling me nightmarish things about their dad and their mouth. My dad said this about me. My dad did this to me. My dad kept saying this about me. I mean, I'm, I'm counseling 20 something year olds right now that are living of uh, the repercussions of their dad's mouth. And I'm going to, this is, this scripture is very, very poignant on that. Notice he doesn't say mothers. Because mothers naturally are nurturers. Now, some mothers have a mouth too. <laughs> but predominantly fathers are, real, we got a gift at this, right? We got a skill at this. And so our goal as, as fathers and as mothers is to nurture and to love and to encourage them. Let me give you a, a kind of a for example here. So I have three boys and my boys are all different. How many of you have multiple kids and your kids personalities are all different? Just crazy different. Like our first one is born and he was like the golden child, like slept, like when two months, like slept all night. And you know, it was like almost to the point, like he's changing himself, feeding himself, you know, just kind of like one of those. You're like, let's have as many kids as we want. And then our second one came along. And then that's just that God was like, ha, 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 (laughs) you just were getting ready. All right. So my second son is all boy Judah. He's all boy. Um, He loves to fight. He loves to wrestle. He loves to do that thing. But he's very, very creative. Like he's very, and he's very sensitive. So I come home the other day and Lindsay's painting her toenails and guess who's right by her. Judah. And guess who's got painted toenails? Judah. Okay? And so as a dad, your natural is like, what? Go, we have a girl dog. Go paint her toenails, not my son's. Okay, but he enjoys that stuff. He loves being with his mom. He's he, he loves using words um, to express how he feels, like he's always telling my wife she's beautiful and he's he loves playing with you know, my shoes are real boring. They're like black, brown, and some tennis shoes. My wife's they're all glitzy and glammy, got heels and they're all colored. He loves walking in my wife's shoes. Okay? So he doesn't come out of like our bedroom, you know, with these high heels on. And I'm like, what? Where's your cleats? What's going on? You know, I don't, I don't do that. Why? Because here's the deal, guys. We got to watch our mouths because we could kill that creativity that's inside of him. He doesn't know any differently. You know, he doesn't know. I, I you know, I'll, I'll go and say, oh, that's a good color. Maybe let's try black or camo green or you know, shy away from the purples and the pinks. Uh, but I. I want to encourage and nurture what I, ha- what I have and what, what he has in him. He goes, Daddy, that shirt is soft. Yes, it is soft. You know, He's just got a sensitivity to him. But he's also, all oh, boy, he'll punch you in the face too. I mean, he's, he loves playing in the dirt. He loves doing all that stuff. But he's got this creative side in him. And I'm going to tell you, Dad, listen, if, you, if you're not careful, you can be really, really hard on these creative boys and squelch that out of them. Or you actually push them to go to that and to get away from masculinity. So my first son, though, is very, um, he's very intelligent, very smart, and he loves asking questions. of you have children that love asking questions and all at the time when you don't want to talk. Like at dinner table, like you just want to, I just want to eat my chicken. And he's like, Dad, what about this? And what did you do this? And Dad, you remember three years ago when we did this and we were there? And I'm like, I just want to eat. I just want to eat. But listen, if I, if I speak negatively to that, he'll shut up and stop asking questions. And then I'll squelch something that's also inside of him. Because here's the deal. I'm a question asker. That's how I was. He's got me in him. I probably do that to people even now. I just like to know why things. Lindsay's like, why are you interrogating me? And I'm like, I just want to know. I just, I'm just asking. I just. But that's just kind of my nature. I like to just ask questions. I like to ask a lot of questions about how things work and how things go. And that's how he is. But if I'm not careful as a dad, I can speak negatively to that because it's maybe bothering me and kill that in him. Are you all with me, guys? And moms. So we have to be very careful um, to, to watch our mouths because if there's anything that we want to do is we want to en- encourage and nurture that. Um, the other thing is this. I, I, don't, I, I said this earlier. My failures as a parent has reminded me so much of God's grace and forgiveness. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to walk into my, my two older boys share a room. They have bunk beds. And I can't tell you how many times—it's usually weekly—that I'm having to go into my son's room and apologize to him. It's a lot more than I would care to share. Where I have to, as I'm putting them down to bed, go up to Saya's bed and go, "Hey, Saya, um, you know when Daddy said such and such? Yeah, I said I noticed that hurt you, and I know it was really rough." And uh, and I apologize. Will you forgive daddy? Daddy needs Jesus too. And that's an area of my heart that God's really working on. And then I'll pray for him, and then I actually ask him to pray for me. But I'll tell you this, that's not the norm. In our culture, daddies don't ask for forgiveness. We get to demand it on our kids, but we don't have to ask for it, right? Right? But if we want our kids to do that, don't we need to model it? Don't we need to be that? And so my wife and I are very, um, we've blown it so much with our children. As I said earlier, there's there's no relationship that I've blown it more in than my marriage and my children. They're the closest to me. They see the good and a lot of the ugly. And so when they see that ugly, I need to acknowledge that. And I need to make it right. And so I encourage you daddies in here to to repent often to your children when you know you blew it. But look what he says. He says the last part of this verse is not only do we need to provoke, don't provoke your children to anger, but he says bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This idea of bringing them up is this idea of nurturing and caring and shaping I don't know if this is in your notes, but it's it's a really, really good line that I actually found in a book that my wife and I are reading when it comes to discipline. And it says this, discipline is not you venting your wrath, but rather you coming as God's representatives to your children to bring them back to God. Discipline is not you venting your wrath, but it's rather you as God's ambassador bringing your children back to God. So when this verse says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, we have to understand a couple of things. And this is all the kids in here. You're going to listen. Kids, the Bible says that you are to submit to your parents, obey and honor them. And the Bible says that as you're doing that, you're actually submitting to the Lord. But do you also know that parents, God is telling you, you have to submit to the Lord too, Right. Because God says, these are my kids, not yours. They're, they're yours to steward, but they're mine. Okay? So, you're going to be held. Here's, this is, I'm just telling you, one day when you stand before Jesus, you will stand for your kids, not the church. You. You will stand before God. That's scary for me as a dad. I'm going to stand before God on how I shepherded and led my kids. And then the crazy thing is, is, as a pastor, I'm going to stand before God on how we shepherded you. That's even more scary. So there's like a, there's a double scariness that I have on my end. But on your end, as a parent, you need to understand that God's going to hold you accountable to how you raise your children. And, and he says in here that we are to bring them up in discipline and in instruction. So I want to kind of... Uh, finish our time together with talking about what is biblical discipline. Because I'm going to just tell you, if, there is no place that I've screwed up more in than in disciplining my kids. That's usually where my my <laughs> repenting has to come back to my kids because of how I disciplined them. It was totally wrong. And so I, I, I'm going to give you four things, and we'll go through them rather quickly. Um, but I want you to really listen here, because here's, this, is, this is something that's going to help you In any type of discipline you have to do, whether it's you're having to deal with a disciplinary issue with your sister or with your husband or with your child. So this is this. These principles are going to apply to all relationships. okay? not just parent and children, even though we're speaking specifically to that. So biblical discipline, number one, is this. It focuses on the heart and not on the behavior. It focuses on the heart and not on the behavior. Proverbs 22.15, it says this. Folly is bound up in the what? What does it say on the screen? Good. Folly is bound up in the heart. That's great. Of a what? Of a child, right? So it doesn't say wisdom is bound up in the heart of a child or obedience is bound up in the heart of a child. What does it say? It says folly is bound up in the heart of a child. See, now here's the deal. When you have a child that disobeys, that's being disobedient, their behavior is just crazy. It's because they have a heart issue. Behavior is a byproduct of the heart. But what do we discipline all the time? Behavior, right? Don't do that. Stop that. What you're saying is, whatever that behavior is, stop it. Here's the problem, though. The behavior is a byproduct of the Heart. So if you don't fix the heart, guess what you're still going to get? Bad behavior, right? So it's the same way. My wife is big right now into this whole gardening thing. And so the other day I just went in with a weed eater and was just chopping down the weeds. Okay, how many of you know how, how much that fixes things? All it did is spread it. <laughs> now I go back and like there's weeds everywhere. I'm going, what's the deal? The truth is, is because I didn't pull it up from the root. So it's still there. When we talk about biblical discipline, we're talking about something that focuses on the heart and not just the behavior. Cause if you're just dealing with just the behavior, you're not dealing with what's really broken. So when a kid backtalks you and says, blank, blank, I'm not going to do this. You go, you never talked to me like that. And they may go, okay, okay. The problem is in their heart though, there's still something that's wrong. You with me? So instead, so this is going to lead to my next line. Your children desperately need to understand not only the external what they did that was wrong, but also the internal why they did it. We need to constantly remind our kids that God works from the inside out, not the other way around. He works from the inside out. So in this is just a practical thing as when we're disciplining our children, we need to speak to our children and not at our children. So speaking to our children means a dialogue. Speaking at our children means a monologue at our children is you do this, you do that, you do that. Go. A dialogue is, hey, let's sit down. Let's let's talk about this. This was wrong. Do you know that's wrong? Yes, this is wrong. Why did you do that? Where did that come from? What were you feeling? What's happening? How many of you know that takes a lot more time, though? And when you're tired already, that's probably the last thing you want to do, right? You want to go. You're getting a spanking, and you're going to your room. That's what we want to do, right? But here's the deal. Here's the big picture. Everybody listen. We discipline for the long haul, not for the immediate. We're disciplining right now because we want our kids to be not only great kids when they grow up, but we want them to love Jesus a lot when they grow up. So if you live in a really hard home where it's just behavior, 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 guess what you'll do? You'll learn to adapt your behavior to what the discipline is. And then when you get outside of that authority, that behavior comes out. That's why you have a bunch of kids who are raised in church their entire life. And then when they get to college, they're wild things. You know why? Because they never had their hearts dealt with. They just learned how to do good churchy things when they were in church. You know why? Because that was me. I was totally like that. I knew how to say all the right things in front of people, but I had a bad heart issue. And look at look what Psalms 119 says. It's actually maybe the verse that we had on there it says, I have stored up your word in my What? In my heart, that I might not sin against you. Notice where the word of God is stored. Where do most kids store up God's word though? In their what? In their head. All my kids go to private school, and I love private school. I went to private school my whole life. The problem, the only thing that I don't like about private school is it just teaches kids how to memorize scripture. It doesn't teach them what the scripture actually means. So we tell all of our OSC Kids leaders that are in here, listen, we want to talk to kids about what the scripture actually means. We don't want to just say, hey, recite this scripture after me, recite this scripture after me, recite this scripture after me. And then they recite it, but they don't actually know what it means. See, when you start knowing what it means, it gets to the heart, right? But when you just can just say it, it's just in the head. But the Bible says that sin abounds not just in the head, it abounds in the heart. So if we can get the word from the head to the heart, then it changes things. Okay, so we're going to focus. We're going to be a people who focus on the heart, not on behavior. And if we're all honest, I mean, most of us are better skilled at fighting to win the argument than we are at fighting to win the heart, right? We can win an argument. The question is, can you win the heart, though? That's a lot harder. Okay, number two, biblical discipline is administered out of love and not anger. How many of you would say this is a really hard one? Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he what? Those he loves. Thank you, man. He loves as a father of the son. He delights in. So here's here's the big deal. Let me let me walk this out practically. OK, I think a part of our response in anger is because we have misconceived expectations. Okay, so here's dads, let me talk to you because I'm a dad and this is just the best that I can relate to. So dads who work a really, really hard job or really long job, you know, my job requires me to use a lot of my brain. I'm thinking constantly and I'm talking a lot. So when I come home, the last thing I want to do is think or talk. So guys who work really physically with their hands, probably when the last thing you come home is what do you want to do? You, don't, you just don't want to work with your hands. You want to like just sit, right? Okay, so um, here's what I like to call the ideal family. And then the real family. So the ideal family for us guys is I'm coming home from work, and I have an ideal family situation I think that's going to happen in my home. I think, here's the ideal family, is I think I'm going to come home, I'm going to drive into my driveway, my kids are going to come running out. Dad waiting for you. They're going to hug me. My wife's going to come out going, babe, I was waiting for you. She's going to give me a passionate makeout kiss in front of all the neighbors. All right, we're going to go into the home and she's going to be like, baby, we got the, the dishes are all done and, the, and look, the, the dinner's right here on the table. It's all set out and we're going to all just sit down and everybody's going to peacefully just sit down and eat. We're going to have some music playing in the background and then after we're all done, she's going to be like, guess what, babe? I'll go do the dishes and I'll put the kids to bed. You just go sit down and relax and just watch the game. Would you like a Dr. Pepper? Would you like anything else? Okay, how can I serve you? Okay, and so after she does all that, you know, that's the ideal family, right? That's what guys think when they get home. Okay, let's walk through the real now, okay? So the real family thing is, you drive into your driveway, you go to the door, you're about to open the door, and you hear screaming. They're screaming everywhere, all in the house. You walk into the door, you trip on a Lego, right when you walk in, there's Legos everywhere all over the house. You're going, what in the world is going on? You hear your wife screaming at your oldest child, going, don't eat any more goldfish! And then you're like, what? What's the deal with goldfish? I mean, he just wants a little goldfish. But what you don't know is all... He's been eating goldfish since noon. So he's eating like six bags of goldfish. So he's gained like nine pounds worth of goldfish now. He's not going to eat his dinner. And so now you and the wife are mad because you're like, what's the deal? And she's like, get off my back if you only knew what was really going on. And then you got your other son running around with a scooter. He takes off half of your toenail because he's been riding around the scooter. And you've been telling him for weeks not to ride in the house with a scooter. You got two other sons in the rooms fighting over a DS. Because one wants a DS game and the other one doesn't have it and they're fighting over it. And you gotta walk into there and you're going, What's going on? You in your room and you in your room. And then you gotta go spank people and then you gotta go, Let's go eat some dinner. And then your wife's still like it's not ready yet. You're like, What's okay, come on, you gotta go, you gotta figure out things you gotta do, and then you finally get to go and have dinner, and then your wife's like, I'm so exhausted, can you do the dishes? And you're like, I'm so exhausted too. I mean, can we what's the deal? Well, and then the kids need to be bathed too, and oh the dog needs to be bathed too, and hey, can you do one of these? And so you're having to go and do that, okay? That's the real right. And then every kid goes to bed and you're like At least that's my home. That's the real. That's not every day. But that's often. That's often. So what... The reason I say all that is because this. Guys, when you go home and your expectation is that your job is done, and now you just get to go home and relax, and then your kids are crazy, or your wife... Is crazy or something's going on and it's just crazy. Guess what you do? You snap. And you start yelling, throwing things. You get mad because your expectation was to come home and sit on the couch and relax. And your wife's expectation is, I get some relief. He's coming home. OK, so when we talk about not disciplining out of we need to discipline out of love and not of anger, I'm going to tell you guys when I drive home, I have to go. My job's not done. My job's not done. Now I get my real job. I'm going to go home and I'm going to serve my wife and I'm going to wrestle with my kids, even though I'm extremely tired. And I'm going to talk to my wife because she's only been talking. No, stop. Quit that all day. And so she wants to talk to a real adult and I'm going to have to have some conversations with her. And then I'm going to probably need to go and clean the dishes and maybe even bathe the boys. And I just need to know that my time is not till they go to bed. Okay, guys? So we need to go home understanding that that was not our real job. We came home to our real job. Just to be husbands and fathers. But when we don't do that, we start screaming and we react in anger. And can I just say this? When parents scream, they're just as out of control as the child. Do you know that your sin is just the same now? And, I, and I'll also say this. Verbal abuse can be just as devastating to a child as physical abuse. I counsel more people with verbal abuse than I do with physical. It's not not say that physical's not there, but I get a lot of that. Okay, number three. Let's fly through this. Discipline's goal. Y'all learn anything? I hope so. Discipline's goal is correction, not punishment. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom whom He receives. Here's just the big idea with this. When God deals with you as a Christian, He doesn't punish you, He disciplines you. There's a difference. See, punishment speaks of retribution and revenge and payback. You know, like when I'm going to punish you, I'm trying to pay you back for something you did to me. But when I discipline you, the, the goal of that is for instruction and training and encouragement and correction. But punishment is I'm trying to get back at you for something you did to me. God doesn't punish us. See, here's the deal. This is the greatest news. Listen, the greatest news on the planet is God took your punishment on Jesus. Jesus took God's punishment. What we deserve, Jesus took. And now, because of that, we walk as people loved by God, not punished by him, but disciplined him. Let me give you some common phrases. These may be a little too common of punishment phrases that we use in our parenting. If you don't stop that, you're going to regret it. Just wait until your father gets home and then you're going to be in really big trouble. I'll spank you so hard, you're not going to be able to sit for weeks. Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. about. Sounds like some people have used it too. (laughs) I'm not the only one. Good. Okay. Hey, listen to my heart here. All of these sayings, stop crying. I'll give you something to cry about. You're not going to be able to sit for weeks. All of these sayings carry a connotation that you're either going to be sad or sorry or pained or wounded That you'll never want to do this again. I'm going to hurt you so bad. You're going to obey now. Can I ask you this? Do you want your children obeying you because they're afraid of you or because they love you? If you use punishment, they will be scared of you. If you use discipline, they'll love you. And I'm, listen, I am the guiltiest sinner in all this. Because it's easy for me to go, if you don't stop that, I'm going to wear your hide out. And what is that? The motivation for that is what? I don't want daddy to beat my butt, so I will obey. But can we all be honest? We don't want our children's obedience to be out of fear. We want our children's obedience to be out of love, right? Mom, dad, I love you, so I want to do this. Not mom, dad, I'm scared of you, so I want to do this. Y'all see the difference? I was raised in a home where my dad was very verbally abusive and then when he spanked, he didn't spank, he whooped. Like bruises everywhere. I was scared of my dad. So guess what? When I did something that I knew was wrong, guess what I did? Hid. I hid. And if we want to be true Godly parents, we don't want our children to hide from us, right? When they blow it, what do we want them to do? Come to us, right? Mom, I did that. I did this. And how many of you know that the discipline would be way less if they just come and admit it than if you've got to go find it out, right? But that's something we're all learning. But a couple weeks ago, I, I, my son had did something, and he went and he hid under his bed. <laughs> What had happened is he had did something that he wasn't supposed to do, and he hid under actually our bed, and we couldn't find him. I was going, Judah, Judah, and he wouldn't answer. Five minutes went by, and we were screaming his name, running outside, running in the backyard. We thought somebody drove by, picked him up, and took him off. My wife was literally on the phone with 911, and the Holy Spirit told me, go look under your bed. And I went, and I walked under, and I looked under my bed, and my son's shaking. I said, son, what are you doing? He said, I didn't, I didn't want to come out. I said, well, why didn't you want to come out? Because I was going to get a spanking. I said, come on here, son. Pulled him out. And we had about an hour conversation. And that night, I looked at Lindsay. And I literally was about to cry. I said, my son is scared of me. He's doing what my dad did to me. And it broke me. It broke me. I told my son, listen, don't you ever run from me. Don't you ever do that. I don't know if y'all have ever had kids that do that, but it's scary. And we've blown it in that. And so if Jesus took our punishment, then our role as parents is to provide the appropriate consequences and instructions to help them see that that behavior displeases God. We need to provide discipline. And there will be pain. There will some. I didn't I did not stop spanking. My sons still get spankings. There's there's pain. But can I say this? The person who brings the pain is also the person who should bring the comfort. How many of you know Daddy disciplines and then kids go run to who? Mom, right? Don't you ever let that happen, Daddy? If you bring the pain, you should also bring the love, because they're going to view Daddy as the hard guy and Mama as the soft one, right? But dads, we have got to be the one who bring the pain, but then also don't let them go. You love them out. You hug that out. You make sure that they're right with you. And if mama brings the pain, then mama needs to bring the love. Whoever brings the pain needs to bring the love. They need to bring the comfort and the encouragement. All right, last one. Discipline ends in restoration, not separation. Discipline ends in restoration, not separation. Hebrews 12, 11 through 13. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. See, there's pain rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but it should be what? What does it need to be? Healed, right? Listen, our main objective with disciplining our kids or whatever it is, whoever it is, is for them to be restored and reconciled and healed. So that means that we have to recite the gospel over and over and over to our kids. And if you don't understand the gospel, you're not going to understand parenting, which is this, that children daily have to learn how to deal with their sin, bring it to God, and then make things right. Isn't that what we do with our relationship with God? We blow it. We come to God and say, God, I blow it. I blew it. And God says, I forgive you. You're back in relationship with me. You're okay. We're just doing that every day. We're, we're blowing it, we're coming back to God, and then we're being reconciled. We're blowing it, coming back to God, repenting, and being reconciled. So every time your kids do this... Now listen, as, you're, as you are training your children... Let me, let me just give words of wisdom for you on this. As you train your children young, your, your, your control is a bit tighter. There's a lot more. Don't do this, stop, do this, don't do this. Don't do that. As your children grow older your your control should start loosening. They should be gaining more freedom as they get older. You should be spanking less as they get older. As they get into their teenage years, there definitely should be a lot more because they need to start learning the consequences of their own sin. But then when they get off on their own, they're their own. Your control is completely off. You did what you were supposed to do as a parent. So we start... I, I want this I feel like this is like choking, <laughs> okay, so you start you start with high control, and then as they grow older, you start loosening up and they gain more and more freedom. but hopefully within all that they're te- you're teaching them in discipline how to come back to God and make things right because when they get older, guess what they need to come back to God and make things right so here's my last words of encouragement. This might not sound like encouragement, but it is. You're going to fail. You're going to blow it. When it comes to discipline, you're going to blow it. When it comes to parenting, you're going to blow it. But can I just tell you this? This is why I said I didn't want you to walk out of here going, I need to be a better parent. I need to be. This is what I want you to walk out of here knowing. God's grace is enough. There's some of you right now, I I, I preached this message last week. I probably had six older ladies that have kids out of the house came up to me and said, I wish I would have heard this 20 years ago. (laughs) I said, well, here's the deal. There's still a lot of young families in here, so would you continue to encourage them in this? You still have a role here to help us because we have a lot of young families that still need encouragement in this. And I'm going to tell you, there is grace where our gap is between the ideal parent and the real parent, between the ideal child and the real child, that gap is God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. As I said earlier, there's nothing more sanctifying in your life than raising children. It reveals your lack. It reveals um, where you need Jesus. It reveals where your kids need Jesus. And, uh, and I, I pray that as, as you blow it, you'll come back to Jesus.